Hey, this morning we have the privilege of starting a brand new sermon series. So we have gotten done with the uh, Gospel of Luke, and now we're going to the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament, and I think there's a lot of themes actually that we saw at the end of the Gospel of Luke that you'll notice kind of overlap with the beginning of Joshua. You may be saying, okay, uh, I get the Old Testament the New Testament. Shouldn't we be focused on the New Testament, though? I mean, that's where Jesus comes. That's where the Holy Spirit comes. Isn't there more to that? Is As Christians today, shouldn't we be focused on that? Well, we actually believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, look at this, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we don't just believe that it's only Jesus's words that are extra special in scripture or that it's just the New Testament, but that the entire Bible is God's word and that it's important. And so in other words, you can't say, well, Jesus's words are a little bit more important than maybe the Old Testament, because what does the beginning of the gospel of John tell tell us? That Jesus is the word of God. It's almost like separating someone's words from themselves. It's almost like you all get like a little bit of information by everything someone says. And Jesus says that, right? From the overflow of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And so it's interesting. We get this kind of cue in of, okay, this is God's character. We look at all of his word. First Corinthians in the New Testament tells us something also about the Old Testament that is an example for us. Take a look with me here in First Corinthians chapter 10. It says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might desire, or sorry, not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Look at this. This is important. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And there we get 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is an important principle. We've talked about this verse before. That no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So it's interesting. It tells us that the Old Testament is an example. And it's actually, there's some really good principles that we get here because it's before Jesus is ever on the scene. And so we get an example of, okay, this is what humanity does when they don't have a Savior. And I'm going to be honest, it's some difficult reading. There are some difficult things that happen in the Old Testament. There's some difficult things to grapple with. There's some difficult failures on the place of Israel. In fact, if you read the book of Judges, I think Judges is one of the most depressing books in the entire Bible. Because it is this massive downward spiral of the Israelite nation without God when they turn away from him. So we're going to be in a book before that, though. This is Joshua. And just to give you kind of a snapshot of where this is happening in Scripture, if you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, God worked through a man named Abraham to reach the entire uh, world for his, uh, for his good 
plan to save humanity. So he reached out, and this is at the be- or, I'm sorry, in the middle of Genesis. He goes to a guy named Abraham, and he says, "Hey, Abraham, through you, I'm going to reach the entire world. I'm going to, in fact, make you a nation, and through your nation, send a savior." And so he goes through Abraham. Abraham has this crazy story. If you're interested in that, look at the second uh, half of the book of Genesis. But through him, his descendants are the na- is the nation of Israel. Well, eventually they go down to Egypt, and in the book of Exodus we find out that they're actually enslaved for 400 years. God gets them out of that. He raises up a guy named Moses. Moses leads them through the desert. God gives them his law in the desert, and then they go to inherit their promised land. But there's one problem. They're unfaithful. You see, they send out 10, or I'm sorry, 12 spies. And those 12 spies go out to the land and they see nothing but huge men. And they're like, there's no way we could fight them. There, I mean, there is no way we could inherit this land. We know God said this, but there's, that's just not going to happen. And so the 12 spies come back and 10 of them say, no, 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 we, we cannot do that. We know God said this, but he must have been wrong. There's no way we can do this. There's only two spies that come back and say, yeah, we could be faithful. We could, we could do this if God's on our side. Their names are Joshua and Caleb. But because they are unfaithful, they choose to head back to the desert. God leads them around the desert for 40 years, and in that 40 years, everyone in that generation who was of age dies off, including Moses, their leader, who's been leading them. And that's at the very end. And so if you read the book of Deuteronomy, well, a lot of times these, uh, these books of the Old Testament, they get a bad rap. Read the book of Deuteronomy. This is like a huge pep talk that Moses has to the Israelites right before they're going into the promised land. And at the end, it tells us that Moses dies. So Moses dies, and Joshua is the guy in charge. He's kind of been Moses' right-hand man all throughout the desert. And at this point, if you think about it, Joshua's probably pretty old. He's probably in his 70s, 80s. If you're in your 70s and 80s, I'm I'm sorry. I just called you old. I didn't mean to do that, but stick with me here. Joshua, he's uh, in his senior golden years. We'll put it that way, right? And he is facing an upward battle. He's taking a brand new generation here and saying, hey, this is what God wanted us to do 40 years ago. This is what God led us to do. And so let's do it. Let's get into this land. Now, Joshua, he's got a hard job. You see, the Israelites, they're not like golden children here. They're not perfect. They're complainers. They're disgruntled. All throughout the desert, they complain to Moses, even though God does everything for them. They are a bunch of complainers. Joshua's got a hard job. And in fact, now they're going into this new season. They've been through this pep talk with Moses through the book of Deuteronomy. They're ready to go, but Moses still has a tough job. Moses, or I'm sorry, Joshua still has a tough job. He's got to get these Israelites into the promised land. And so here, this uh, book of Joshua, we're going to focus on how Joshua is fearless through this. Because there is a lot of times in the book of Joshua where he should have been shaken in his boots afraid. And God says, I didn't make you to be afraid. In fact, this same idea is reiterated in the New Testament in the book of 2 Timothy. Paul's writing his second letter to a young pastor in Ephesus. And he says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Here in the book of Joshua, we see what it looks like to not have a spirit of fear. 
So follow with me here. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to go to Joshua chapter 1, or if you're on the Bible app too, you can get there. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read the first half of the first chapter today. This is what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people in the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. The very place, I'm sorry, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. What God is describing to Joshua here is the land of Israel. He's saying, hey, Joshua, it's yours. Every place you go to right here, it's yours. And this is what he says to him. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not, <clears throat> excuse me, do not turn to it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We're going to talk about what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, let's just go before God in prayer and ask Him for His help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank You for Your good and perfect Word. And as we take a look at this example in Joshua, a man who you called to lead the Israelite nation. God, I pray that you would help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. I pray that you would help us not to live with a spirit of fear, but with power and of love and of self-control, as you say in your word. Father, help us to do that today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time you have been afraid? Now, I'm not saying uh, you're afraid that, you know, your meal at Taco Bell is going to be wrong when you go through the drive-thru. That's a guarantee. But what, when's the last time you've actually been afraid? Now, maybe, uh, you know, it's at the end of the month and you're looking at your bank account and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to get the mortgage paid. Maybe you're looking at a certain relationship and you're saying, man, I don't know how I can bring this up, but this is going to be detrimental to my relationship. Maybe you are looking at your job and you're saying, man, I am just afraid that I'm going to be let go. I think this recession is going to hit and my job security is just not all there. When's the last time you've legitimately been afraid? Psychology would tell us that uh, fear actually causes us to have a physical response. This is from Northwestern Medicine. They say that fear is physical in your mind, but it, I'm sorry, it, uh, fear is experienced in your mind, but it triggers a strong physical reaction in your body. As soon as you recognize fear, your amygdala, which is a small organ in the middle of your brain, goes to work. It alerts your nervous system, which sets your body's fear response into motion. 
Stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline are released. Your blood pressure, your heart rate increase, you start breathing faster, even your blood flow changes. Your blood flow actually flows away from your heart and into your limbs, making it easier for you to start throwing punches or run for your life. Your body is literally preparing for fight or flight. They go on to say fear can actually make you uh, have bad decisions. It can actually make your brain become foggy. Listen to this. As some parts of your brain are revving up, others are shutting down. When the amygdala senses fear, your cerebral con, uh, cortex, which is the area of brain that uh, harnesses reasoning and judgment, becomes impaired. So now it actually makes it difficult for you to make good decisions and think clearly. Think about in your life. Have you ever been afraid and made a bad decision? Have you ever been maybe afraid of not having enough income, and so you go and maybe do something a little dishonest? Have you ever been afraid of maybe not having exactly what you want or maybe missing out on something, and so you look back and you say, man, I just made a bad decision because I was fearful. Here's the deal. In this life, people will try and cause you to fear. We live in a fear-driven society. We went over this a few weeks ago. In fact, if you want more information on it, go back just a few weeks ago on our website. Go to week 71 of the Gospel of Luke. We talked about how those Pharisees were fearful of what Jesus would bring, right? They were fearful of what Jesus would bring, and so they actually crucified Him, and they make logical leaps, and they get in relationships with people that they really shouldn't be talking to, and they just make all these, all these poor, 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 decisions. But scripture, remember, tells us this, that we should not have a spirit of fear. God didn't give you that. When you're laying awake in your bed at night and you are fearful about what is to come, God did not give you that spirit of fear. And we're not talking about, oh, I'm afraid if I don't wake up that, you know, I might uh, be late to work or something like this. We're talking about a spirit of fear where I walk around and fear literally dictates how I am acting or the words that I say or the thoughts that I think. God did not give you that. And as Christians, we should be wiser than people trying to cause fear in us. We should say, no, 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 that's, you're trying to cause me to fear. And I'm not going to uh, make decisions based on fear. I think Joshua is a great book to look at to answer a simple question, which is this. How do I live without a spirit of fear in a, in a world captivated by fear? This world today is completely captivated by fear. Politicians will try and make you fear and vote for them. Businesses will try and make you afraid so that they can sell you their products or services. So how do you, as a Christian, not live with a spirit of fear? Because it sounds really good, right? It sounds really good to say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. God's got this. And then kind of fall into the trap of businesses and politicians that want to cause fear in you, right? It's hard. It's hard to live in a world that is literally dictated by fear and not have a spirit of fear, as Scripture tells us to. And so in this, uh, in this passage that we just looked at in Joshua, I don't know if you caught this, but God literally instructs Joshua not to be afraid, to be strong and courageous, not to be fearful, not to be dismayed three separate times. 
It's a short little uh, passage that we have here in the book of Joshua where God calls him to get into this land, to bring the Israelites into the promised land. But three times God says, hey, don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. This is what I've called you to do. So how do you do that? How do you live without a spirit of fear in a world captivated by fear? Let's look at this uh, short little passage here today and find out how. In verse 5, God says to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore, look at this, to their fathers to give to them. What is God doing here? He's referring back to what he told Abraham. He's referring back to what he told Moses. He's saying, hey, listen, this has been my plan all along. This has been my plan. I swore, I promised that I would get you into this. And guess what? God doesn't break promises. He's perfect. He's a good, good, perfect God. And so how do you live fearlessly in a fear-driven world? Number one, hold on to God's promises. Now, before I go too far into this, I had a very similar point last week at the end of Luke. And I told you that there's a lot of overlap at the end of Luke into the beginning of Joshua into holding on to God's promises. Now, here's the deal. I married an English teacher. I messed up last week. I wrote unto God's promises. My English teacher wife tells me it's onto God's promises. So, in a spirit of saying I am wrong, I told you I would always tell you if I'm wrong. I got it wrong, okay? It's onto, in your bulletin, it's written unto, and my wife made fun of me for it. So you make fun of me all you want. I'm not a perfect person. Let's move on. We hold on to God's promises, right? We hold on to that and we say, hey, you know what? God promised this in his word and we're holding on to it. A lot of things that uh, cause us to fear, I think, is a fear of missing out. Right? We, we don't want to miss out on things. We don't want to miss out on what other people are experiencing, the good things that other people have. We don't want to miss out on that. And sometimes we make bad decisions because we're saying, well, I don't want to miss out on that. And we forget how good our God is. Look what Romans 8.32 says. It says, He did not, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, God's saying, hey, listen, I gave you my one and only son. He died a horrific death on a cross for you. You think I'm going to spare anything else for you? I've given it all to you. We can hold on to that promise. We can hold on to the promise said in Philippians 4.19 that says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, guys, God is not going to spare it. He's saying, hey, I'm a good father. I'm going to take care of you. I'm a good, good God. And we can hold on to that promise. Let's keep going here in our passage back in Joshua. I want to read verse 5 for you again. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, you might be saying, okay, so the Israelites have to like go into this land and kill a bunch of people in order to inherit it. Hold on to that thought. We're actually going to go over that. Why did God call people to actually murder a whole nation in order to take over their land? Hold on to that thought. It's a really good thought, and then we're going to address it here in the next few weeks. Actually, uh, not next week, but the week after. So 
Hold on to that thought. It's a really good thought, and we'll address it here in a couple of weeks. But let's keep moving for now. It says, just as I was with Moses, look at this, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God repeats himself in verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In a fear-driven world, a world that wants to make you afraid of everything, here's what I need you to hold on to. It's what God tells Joshua, not only to hold on to his promise, but also remember that God's always with you. He's always with you. There is no place that you can go physically or spiritually that God will not be with you there. There, In other words, you can always turn to him. He's with you. He repeats this in uh, Matthew, Jesus, after he dies and is resurrected three days later and then spends time with his disciples right before he ascends back to heaven. Do you know what he says? It's the Great Commission. We know this. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, look at this. I am with you always to the end of the age. This promise is repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. Isaiah puts it like this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 3.16 says, Be strong and courageous. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. It's the same words used in Joshua. And this is Moses' pep talk with Israel right before he dies. He says, Be strong and courageous. Don't fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Psalm 23, probably the most famous chapter in the entire Bible, in verse 4, puts it like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now here's the deal with this, especially guys. When we talk about this, that God's rod and staff are with us. Now, think about a shepherd. He's got to keep a bunch of sheep in line. What does he do with this rod and and, and staff here? Uh, Is this like a little pillow that he uses to gently correct people? Uh, No. He's grabbing their necks by it and saying, hey, get in line here, guys. What are you doing? And yet, we can be comforted by the fact that our God wants to keep us where he wants us. That we can actually be comforted, as it says here in Psalm 23, that your rod and your staff, look at this, they don't hurt my neck, they're not a pain in my back, they are a comfort to us. Which means God's statutes, God's rules for how we are to live our lives that are found in His Word, they're not these things that just hang around our neck and we go, oh, can you believe that God wants me to do this? Oh, it's so cumbersome. It's such a pain. I guess I'm a Christian. I can't do anything fun. And I guess I just have to live my life and be really, really lame and boring. Right? Some Christians walk around like that. But that's not how God has it. He says, no, 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 no. It is a comfort to us that this is how we are to live our lives and it is the best way. In other words... It's the best life that you can possibly live. Now, it may not be the funnest life in the short term for you. I don't know if fun is the word. My English teacher wife, I'm sure, will correct me later. But it is, it is the best life that you can possibly have because this is the way that God has designed it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're talking about that God is always with us, right? 
He's saying, hey, listen, I'm literally a part of you. If you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit indwells within you. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? I want you to remember, in a fear-driven world, to hold on to God's promises and remember that God is always with you. Always. There is no place that you can go physically or spiritually where God is not there, where you can turn and say, God, I need you. I want to hop back into our uh, uh, passage here in Joshua and go over one more uh, thing for you. Verses 7 and 8, this is what it says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of the Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from it, from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, why does God say this to Joshua? I mean, this is kind of, if you're thinking about what God is doing here, he's saying, hey, listen, you got this, Joshua. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You're good to go. Let's go and take over this land. And yet, God almost takes a tangent here. It's almost coming out of left field, right? Oh, yeah, by the way, um, all that stuff that I commanded Moses, make sure you do that. Anyways, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Right? It's almost this thing that's like, why would, he, why would you put that in there? It must be important, right? Like if God would take the time out of this very important message and pep talk that he has to Joshua to do this, it's got to be important. And it is. What is God telling Joshua? He's saying, hey, listen, I need you to stick to my word. I need you, as you lead these people into this land, I need you to abide by my word constantly. And in a fear-driven world, when there are only people and corporations out there that want to cause you to fear, as Christians, we should know better. And a way that we know better is by looking at God's word, as we talked about just a little bit earlier, that we look at God's word and we go, yeah, but that's not, what, that's not what God has already said about this. That's not how God said that I should act. This isn't, this isn't what I should be doing. I shouldn't be fearful right now. I should have power and love and self-control, as 2 Timothy says. We need to abide by God's Word. And this is what that does, too. Um, have you ever been kind of um, wondering, man, is what I did the right thing? Right? Like, all of us probably at some point in our lives look back and go, Man, I don't know if I should have said that, right? Um, I, I don't know, man. Should I have really done that? Should I have really said that or spent that money? Should I have really made that decision here? Should I have really had, had done that? And it can cause us to fear, right? It's almost like a retroactive fear. Well, maybe I did the wrong thing, and, and so now this is going to come back to bite me, and so all, nothing, now it's not going to work out because I did the wrong thing. And when we act by God's Word, it gives us some solidity. We could say, no, 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 this is what God's Word says about that. And I acted within it. And I not only acted within it, I tried to uphold God's Word and glorify Him the best way that I possibly can. Or it gives us solidity to say, no, I definitively did it the wrong way. I did the wrong thing here. And so I need to repent. I need to apologize to whomever I need to apologize. And then I need to move forward. 
Hebrews 4.12 says this about the Word of God, that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, look at this, the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, God even cares about the intentions of your heart. You know, you could do the right thing the wrong way, and the wrong thing the right way, right? I mean, it can go both ways, but God says, no, 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 I get the intentions of your heart. In other words, it's not just your outward actions that matter. It's your thoughts and intentions as well. And God's word gets to that. It says, hey, even if you're doing the right thing the wrong way, man, that's still the wrong thing. You're still sinning. It gets to that. Jesus says this in Matthew 4, 4. He answered him, it is written, man shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What if we were to live that way? What if we were to say, man, every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's how I'm living my life. I'm going to live my life based off of God's word. Psalm 119, 105, and Dave read this earlier for us. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Guys, this is how we are to live by God's word. And it's how we're to live fearlessly in a world driven by fear. So let me ask you a question as, as we close up today. As we've taken a look at this first half of the first chapter of Joshua, what causes you to fear? What in your life is causing you to fear? Is it something you're listening to? Something you're watching? Is it something that you're doing? Is it a way that you spend your money? Evaluate your actions. Evaluate how you live your life. And think about it. Do you live with a spirit of fear? Now, we don't want to go the opposite direction and err too heavily on the other side either, right? Like, we don't want to live, uh, you know, just kind of crazy and, and, and it's kind of under this guise of, I don't live with any fear, YOLO, right? Like, I, yeah, you only live once, so I'm going to do everything. And, and, well, that's not biblical either. What we're to do is not to live with a spirit of fear, but with the solidity that God is always with us, that we can trust His promise and we can trust His Word, and we're going to live based on His Word and His Word alone. There's a lot of people out there that try and take away from God's Word and a lot of people out there that try to add to God's Word. Neither one of those are good. We as Christians should not live with a spirit of fear. Fear causes us to take away from God's Word or it causes us to add to God's Word. But as Christians, we don't live with a spirit of fear. We live by God's Word in His Word alone, trusting in His promises, remembering that He's always with us. And even if we're going into a scary season, just like Joshua was, we don't live with fear. We hold on to the promise that God's with us. And it's almost like God's words to Joshua can speak directly to you. You feel like you're going into a new season of life? I feel like for all of us, because of what has just happened with COVID and we're kind of coming out of it, but no one really knows what's coming next. I think all of us need to grab a hold of Joshua here, this first chapter in Joshua, where God says, be strong, be courageous, do not be fearful, do not be dismayed, for I 
am always with you, and I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. It's hard. It's hard to live in a world that is completely fear-driven, where you turn on the TV and people want to make you afraid so that you will do certain things. It's hard to live in a world that is completely driven by fear. And yet in the midst of this, God says, don't be afraid. I didn't give you that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And as we go through this book of Joshua, man, there's just so much that God has in store for us. And I'm really looking forward to it. So as, you, uh, as we just close up today, I just, I, I just want to ask you again, what's causing you to fear? Evaluate your life. There's some reflection questions on the back of the bulletin outline that you got there. It's also on the YouVersion Bible app if you're following along there. I encourage you sometime this afternoon, sometime later this week, go through those reflection questions and reflect and say, what's causing me to fear? And how can I hold on to God's promises? How can I hold on to his word? How can I remind myself he's always with me? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your promise to Joshua, and we hold on to that promise that you are always with us. That we shouldn't be fearful, and even though in this world there are so many people out there that want to cause us to fear, so many things out there that want to cause us to fear, God, you didn't give us that. We're not to walk around and make fear-based decisions, but rather to make decisions based on your word based on your promises and remembering that you are always with us. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for being always with us. Thank you, Father, for sending your one and only Son to die on the cross for our behalf, to pay the price for our sins. And Father, we can hold on to that. And it helps us not to be afraid. Help us to do that. Help us to hold on to the sacrifice that you gave for each and every one of us. Jesus, we need you. We need you as our Lord and our Savior. And we thank you for the, for the great lengths that you would go through for us. Just to have a relationship with us. And Father, help us to glorify you with everything that we've got because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.